It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the latest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. I'm Lance Meadow. We are highlighting the 2023 draft class. And today we're focusing on the team's sixth round pick, 209th overall, Old Dominion corner, Bray Hawkins III. And to get more into that, we are now joined by Old Dominion's head coach, Ricky Ronnie. Coach, greatly appreciate the time. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Yeah, it's going great. Going great. We uh, were able to get, you know, three guys drafted and, uh, for the first time in school history. And and a, a couple other guys have signed either uh, as undrafted free agents or for mini camps and things like that. So uh, it's a great opportunity for our guys to kind of live out their dreams right now. And to piggyback off of that point, considering now Trey Hawkins has to make the jump from Old Dominion to the NFL, what does that say about how far your program has come and the quality of talent that you've been able to produce? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the thing I was really proud about is the three guys who got drafted, they all came to us in different ways. You know, one was a high school recruit under Coach Wilder um, that we were able to uh, develop, you know, Nick Saldaveri, who ended up being a fourth round pick. Then Trey was a junior college player for us. Um, that we were able to get, um, you know, early in early in my career here, and then and then uh, Zach Kuntz, uh, who was a seventh round pick, was a transfer out of Penn State for us. Uh, so I've known him for a long time. So he's a transfer out of Penn State. So that was a really great deal to be able to have three different guys uh, get drafted, and they were developed three different ways. When you look at Trey, I think the one thing that jumps off the film or the page is clearly his size, his length and his speed. How much were you able to tap into those skill sets during his two years with the Monarchs? Yeah, I think we were able to tap into him, but probably not uh, maximize him fully because I think he could be um, and will be at the next level a dominant special teams player. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of depth at corner, so we weren't able to utilize him on special teams the way that um, I think that he he could be really good. I think he could be a dominant gunner, um, obviously hold up on, on punt return. Um, he is such an elite tackler. I mean, you know, I mean, he had 76 tackles in 2021 and 50 some this year. And, um, you know, he's an elite tackler, so I know he can do it on kickoff and then, you know, he can block kicks, you know, he almost had, he had one last year and he almost had a punt. So, um, and I think he would tell you that he probably should have had the punt, but, um, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who I, I definitely think is going to make a major, major impact on special teams. Um, and then just having some guys around that you have that I know and some guys you've signed here recently, you know, um, that I know are going to be great mentors for him. I, I think his best football is way ahead of him. When we talk about special teams, I always compare it, coach, to defense in basketball. You have to have the desire to want to do that, regardless of whether or not you have the skill set. How much do you see that in Trey, that there's that desire to do pretty much that dirty work that doesn't necessarily always show up in the box score? Well, I think you can look at it from two perspectives. One, in his very first game, we you know we play Wake Forest, who ended up being what tenth in the country that year or whatever, um, and and in 2021, and he has nine tackles, three tackles for loss. You know that showed right there that he was willing to be a run support player and a tackler from the corner position. You know because those weren't like, hey, the guy caught the ball and then I tackled him. They were, I mean, three tackles for loss. Those are you know getting screens on the ground, balls got spilled out to him. <clears throat> That's that dirty work that corners have to be willing to do. But then the other thing is, I mean, he asked to be on those special teams, even though we really didn't have that much depth. And so we were trying uh, desperately to find ways to get him get him on there because he was begging for us to, to, to get on there. He did know that it was something that he might need to show, um, uh, you know, the next level guys that he was willing to do and, and could do. Speaking of needing to show, I think it's fair to say, his pro date performance was extremely impressive and probably put him on the radar of a lot of NFL teams, not to say that he wasn't already. What was your main takeaway in terms of what he was able to showcase at the pro day and how much maybe that changed the conversation surrounding his upside? I mean, we knew that he could do all those things, you know, <laughs> um, you know, we had just because I know this is going to sound silly, but like, what do I really care? We hadn't tested forties in a while. Um, you know, you, you don't, you don't want to risk injury and stuff. And those guys are already on your team. So it's like, all right, is he fast or not? Does he play fast or does he not play fast? Well, Trey always played fast. And, and so we knew he could run. We knew he could do those sort of things. Um, we knew he could jump his great length and all that sort of stuff. And, and, 
you know, the one that probably surprised me a little bit was the bench press. Um, I think he put up 17 reps or, or, or something. Um, not that I didn't think he was strong, but 17 for a corner is really good. You know, um, the other things, yeah, I mean, I kind of thought, saw those things coming. Um, so it was one of those, those situations where I knew what type of athlete he was and I just knew he needed an opportunity to show it. The bench press that you brought up, I would say that transfers nicely to the style of corner he is, is a press man who doesn't mind getting aggressive at the line of scrimmage. What jumped out to you about his coverage skills and whether or not that physicality will be extremely beneficial as he joins a defense that is pretty much just as aggressive? Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, great for him, especially at, at, at that level where hey, you're not really allowed to touch him once they get past five yards, right? So you better do your damage at the line of scrimmage. Um, and, and he certainly can do that. And, and I, I also think just his ability to play physical in general allows the defensive coordinator to change up how they, you know, how they force the ball and how they do run support and things like that. He can be heavily involved in that. It also gives him some options where maybe he can play some nickel um, and do some of those sort of things where, you know, he's, he's, he's physical enough that he can do some of those sort of things, cover tight ends and, and, and do some things that maybe other corners might struggle with. With respect to his fit at the next level, where do you think he scratched the surface and where do you think he maybe needs to continue to make some strides? Yeah. I mean, I think that he, uh, I think he, again, special teams, he showed when we allowed him to do it, that he could do it. And so I think he's scratching the surface there. Um, and I'm pretty sure, he, you know, I think he's going to be a four core team guy and 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 really be a guy who makes a major impact there. Um, and we tell our guys all the time, you know, that's one place that, hey, everybody's got to do it. So uh, you've got to be able to prove that at the next level um, with the roster sizes being what they are and things like that. I think the place where, you know, he can continue to make strides is, you know, he is around the ball. I mean, that's evidenced by having three fumble recoveries. He's forced some fumbles. He had two picks last year, six PBUs. But the thing that he's got to continue to work on is just, you know, having that confidence to finish on some of those deep balls with the ball in the air. I mean, he's right there. Um, and, and I think that that's just, if nothing else, sometimes that's just a confidence thing and, and, and playing it that way. It's a little bit like a, your golf swinger on a chip shot, right? Like you can, you can do everything well. And a couple of guys, you know, you get to that chip and maybe you're just not chipping it the way you want to. Um, I think he's, it's going to be one of those things that he's going to play the ball in the air. Well, a couple of times in, in practice, um, and in preseason, then, and then it's just going to take off from there. Well, Coach, I'm glad you went there because you do look at his numbers. He had 14 passes defense in his two years with you. The interceptions, to your point, may not be overwhelmingly high, but I guess how much is also that a product of your scheme and your system? Because when you have a press corner or a guy that goes out and plays man-to-man, -man, sometimes he's so much more overwhelmed in terms of the man as opposed to where the ball is. And I'm just curious maybe how those dynamics came into play with those numbers. Well, I mean, that's a very good point. I mean, I think when you look at his two picks last year, they, they you know, they were both, um, which he does have really good instincts. They were both in zone coverage. You know what I mean? Um, and he was able to find the ball and make two really good plays on the ball. Um, so I think that that is something that's probably, you know, he has more PBUs and he has more of those sort of things. And, 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 it, you know, we play a lot of man coverage, but we also play a lot of man match where it ends up being man um, shortly. It may start off his own, but it, it quickly turns to man. So he, he a lot of the time is focused on one guy um, and, and those sort of things. So when he was able to play a little bit more uh, true zone and, and be able to um, hunt for the ball a little bit, you know, that's where he saw some of the fumble, um, the fumble caused and, 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 and the interceptions and things like that. Going into the draft, I'm sure you heard from your fair share of coaches and NFL executives. In terms of what you heard and where he wound up, what was your reaction in terms of the fit with the Giants and also where you were projecting him to ultimately wind up? Well, I'd say the fit with the Giants, I think, is a great fit. Um, you know, I wouldn't say he's the, the biggest city boy ever, so... But <laughs> I, I, I've been up there enough. You don't you don't have to live in Manhattan. He can live in Hoboken and some of those places, you know, and and, and be perfectly fine. Um, hopefully he doesn't live in Hoboken. That might be a little bit too much uh, fun for him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that. Uh, I didn't hear as much, which to me told me he was going to get drafted fairly high. You know, the people 
they don't like to give away their secrets on some of that sort of stuff, right? So um, as, as I started to hear less and less and less from guys as we got closer and closer to the draft, I became more convinced that he was going to get taken a lot higher than people thought he was going to. I want to piggyback off of your point about him not necessarily being a city boy, because as you referenced earlier, he did come from Trinity Valley Community College in Texas. And for our viewers who may not be familiar with your trajectory and the program overall, 2020, unfortunately, he did not have a season. It was canceled due to the pandemic. So he comes in that year, no football. Then all of a sudden you have to flip the switch and start getting at it again. So what was that like transition wise for him as you and the team were pretty much going through some challenges that most college football programs did not have to deal with. So for him, that might've been the most beneficial year ever because um, like a lot of junior college kids in order to, to graduate and get eligible and those sort of things, he didn't get here till late. So he got here like right in August, um, honestly, right before we canceled the season, which that probably wasn't great, but wow. the, the, the ability for him to, we actually basically had a spring practice that fall. So for him to be able to kind of learn and, and, and grow and do those sort of things that fall um, and then have another spring practice that spring and then another camp before he finally played his first game, like that's always going to be a good thing. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I think that, you know, we've had a lot of success with junior college players here. I, in my career, I've had a lot of success with junior college players. I, I recruited, you know, Lackawanna College when I was at Penn State and guys like uh, – um, Jaquan Brisker, who just, you know, who, who, who obviously is in the NFL now and, and uh, Tig just got taken by the 49ers, Jair Brown and, and some of those sort of guys. So we've had some success there. And then all the way back to Kansas State, where that place was almost built, you know, on junior college players. So, you know, those guys are we've got some elite players out of there. And, and we, we have, you know, two other guys on our team right now, we, you know, from that exact junior college. So I think that it's a place where you can get some, some, some really, really talented players. There's no doubt about it. When you say it was sort of a blessing in disguise to have that season off, why was that? Was that because he was making the transition from Juco yeah. to the next level? Or was it also just because he had an opportunity as a player to sort of take a step back and reflect on how he was going to adjust to your system? Well, I think it was more so, when you look at junior college guys, especially ones that don't have a spring who come in over the summer, um, especially late summer, they tend to not hit their stride till the end of the first year into the second year. So when we didn't play his quote unquote second year now was the first year. Right. So he was able to hit the ground a little bit more running. So I think that 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 really helped him, um, allowed him just to, you know, lift and do all those sort of things and 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 really gain even a little bit more uh, size and strength. And, and uh, you know, so I think it ended up helping him when, you know, our first game, like I said, is against what ended up being the 10th ranked team in the country. I want to move to your Giants connections that you've been referencing because it's quite interesting, Coach. It's not just necessarily Trey Hawkins the third, but you have some connections to past and present Giants, specifically at Penn State. Three players in particular who you crossed paths when you were assistant from 2014 to 19, highlighted by Saquon Barkley, who clearly has made quite a name for himself within the system. What were your impressions when you first came into contact with Saquon Barkley and what he certainly has become at the NFL level? Well, I mean, we knew, you know, he committed to us, you know, before his senior year and those sort of things. And, and we thought we had a good player. Um, we actually, you know, we had a couple of backs committed and we thought he was a really good player. And then his senior year, we were like, oh my gosh, we may have, we may have the best player in the country. You know what I mean? And I mean, he was unbelievable his senior year. Um, so then when he got there, um, everyone was like, oh, when's he going to play? When's he going to play? When's he going to play? And, and he needed to learn some things, pass protection and and and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so we didn't really play him. He played a little bit here and there, but he didn't really play a lot until a Buffalo game. I think it was the third or fourth game of the year. And then he has some sloppy, rainy game. Um, he ends up having over a hundred yards in the fourth quarter, he hurdles a guy and scores. And, and, you know, after that, it was like, all right, well, he's our starter now, you know, and, <laughs> and he kind of took off from there. It was just one of those things where when you, you know, you handed in the ball and I was up in the booth, I was, I was the tight end coach at the time. Coach Moorhead was the offensive coordinator. When you handed him the ball, I mean, there'd be times it'd just be a normal play. And then all of a sudden I'd be like, Oh guys, he's gone. 
you know what I mean? And it'd be like, what? And then, or, but then it got so routine that he'd make like a 25 yard run and get tackled by the free safety. And like all the coaches would be like, what's wrong with him? Is he okay? Is he hurt? Like what, what's going on? I mean, it was like, he got tackled one time and everyone was like freaked out that he was hurt because, because they thought that, uh, how could he not make the safety miss? It, it became so routine for him to do that. that, And I kept like thinking to myself, like, guys, we're, these are some pretty lofty expectations we've got going on right now. But, you know, most of the time he met him, you know, so he was a I mean, he was a one man wrecking crew. There's no doubt about it. With respect to, unfortunately, some of the injuries that he's had to deal with, and he had a great bounce back campaign this past year in 2022, not to say that anybody ever questioned his work ethic, but what stood out to you about maybe what he did outside of games that really has allowed him to overcome some notable and serious injuries throughout his NFL career thus far? Well, I mean, you just look at him and he's always been a beast in the weight room. You know what I mean? I mean, he just has. And and even on the practice field, he's always finished plays and finished runs and and, and done all those sort of things. Um, so, you know, his ability to work has always been, I don't think anybody questioned that. And and so I don't think anybody who was at Penn State thought that he wasn't going to come back from that injury and come back from it really, really, you know, the way he did, you know. And and, and again, even those injuries, right, those injuries, you know, you 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 tend to be better your second year. Right. And he kind of that was kind of the way it was. So, um, you know, I, I. I just think he's so talented, he can do so many different things. And and uh, he's he's a uh, he's a guy who you love to have in your on your team because you can kind of line him up in a bunch of different areas and, and, and have him do some things. And the Giants have absolutely taken advantage of that, that you just referenced within Brian Dable and Mike Kafka's offense. Before I let you go, coach, I want to bring up one other interesting Giants connection. And I'll go back into the archives. You obviously were a quarterback at Cornell, and then you spent a year as an assistant as the running backs coach. And if I have my archives correct, you cross paths with Kevin Booth, who is a two-time Super Bowl champ offensive lineman for the Giants, was Mr. Versatility. What was your experience like crossing paths with him? And did you ever anticipate that he would carve out such a lengthy NFL career, which he ultimately did? So Kevin is one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, and anybody I think who was cross paths with him for even 15 seconds would say the same thing. Um, so he medically redshirted when I was a senior. Um, but then when I went back to coach, he was a senior. So um, he played the entire year with two casts on his hand. Um, so he literally couldn't hold and wow. absolutely dominated, you know, um, you know, uh, and I, the name is slipping right now, the linebacker from Brown um, who played long snapper, I think, for you guys. Um, Zach Kiyasi. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I mean, they beat us in that game, but we ran for 300-plus yards in that game, and most of the time we would run away from Kevin so that he could go and get up on Zach. You know what I mean? And, and, and I mean – it was a pretty dominating performance by him in that game. And, and you know, I just it, it was so awesome to see him succeed. And, and and now what he's done off the field and all those sort of things. I mean, Kevin's awesome. You know, we have another one. You know, O'Shane Zimenez is from ODU. And, right. And, and, and I've got to meet O'Shane. He, he's been awesome. Um, I've got to meet him. That was I was all, he played for Coach Wilder and Coach Wilder staff did a great job of, of you know, developing him and, and everything. But, um, yeah, he's he's another guy that I'm I'm glad to see there. I mean. It's kind of cool. We have 10 guys in the NFL right now from ODU and on eight different teams. So um, it's kind of a it's kind of an awesome deal, for, you know, thinking that this program isn't isn't that old and to have 10 guys in the NFL is pretty cool. 100 percent, considering for our audience to understand, it started up again in 2007. So when you think about it, that's not a very long period of time. And to take your point even further of the 10 guys, coach, two are now wearing New York Giants uniforms with O'Shane Simonez and Trey Hawkins. So, I mean, that's quite remarkable in itself. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. You know, we've been able to, over the last two years, um, put six guys in the NFL, um, you know, from we had two undrafted free agents last year that both stuck with the Chargers and then three drafted and one undrafted free agent this year. Um, so, you know, pretty pretty awesome deal right there. Well, we are certainly looking forward to seeing what Trey Hawkins III could do for both the Giants' defense as well as the special teams. Their sixth-round pick, 209th overall. He's the head coach of Old Dominion, 
Ricky Ronnie. Coach, can't thank you enough. Greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Best of luck moving forward this season. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. I'm Lance Meadow, and we are continuing to break down the 2023 draft class. As today, we're focusing on one of the team's seventh-round picks, 243rd overall, Oregon defensive lineman Jordan Riley. And to get more into Riley, we're joined by the head coach of the Ducks, none other than Dan Lanning. Coach, greatly appreciate the time. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Yeah, doing great, Lance. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure having you here on the program. And Coach, I want to start with the unusual path for Jordan Riley to the NFL because you don't see many prospects have four schools in six years that they suit up for. You were with him in this last year with Oregon. Clearly his size jumps out to everybody. That's what GM Joe Shane said when he met with the media. What was appealing in bringing him in to Oregon's program this past year? Yeah, we were really fortunate to know really a lot about Jordan before uh, he ever got here. You know, when I was at Georgia, we recruited Jordan um, with, and was familiar with him there. And then when I got here, I hired Tony Tuioti as our defensive line coach, who happened to coach Jordan at Nebraska. So there were some really tight connections to kind of who he was as a player, or what his potential was, um, what we thought he, he could do for our program before before he ever arrived. And I think those common connections really led to some success for him this last year. Casey Rogers, who's a fellow defensive lineman, also came over, and he's part of this Nebraska connection. From a developmental standpoint, how beneficial was it for Jordan, Coach, that he had a coach and a teammate that he brought with him in terms of really assimilating him into the program? Yeah, I think uh, just the familiarity in general probably allowed him quickly to pick up what we were trying to do and conceptually have some people that he trusted in the building that he was around um, that he felt really good being around. So. He, he certainly thrived in this environment. Having Casey and Tony here were big pieces of that. I always say when you look at a defensive lineman stats, it really doesn't do justice, Coach, as you can attest to, because it's not necessarily flashy, and those players don't necessarily always fill up the stat sheet. So since you've been around him on a daily basis, and clearly he got more starts with Oregon than he did at any of his previous stops, how did he open things up maybe for others that didn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet? Well, you mentioned the very first thing he said when we got on here is his size. And uh, what I'll say about Jordan, it, it wouldn't shock me one bit if Jordan has a long, long career in the NFL because of that size. It's just so hard to find. Um, and, and the production, that, that's not necessarily what that position is about, right? There's a lot of other pieces to that. But he's going to demand two guys on him at all times. And when you're going to demand two from – not a lot of people are going to have a one-on-one -on -one opportunity to move him. And if you want to get movement up front – it's going to take two guys, which means somebody else is going to be free uh, to the ball to maybe be able to go make a play. And if they do use one, they're not going to get the movement required to reestablish the line of scrimmage, and Jordan will be able to shed a block and go make a play. So with that being said, it seems as if he played an integral role, especially in terms of stopping the run last season with the Ducks. And your, re your run defense was very respectable for the majority of the season. Why is he so effective in terms of using that size specifically to clog holes and stop the run? Yeah, kind of what we just talked about, right? He's able to anchor into a double team. You're not going to get a ton of movement. His length uh, you know, allows him to keep separation from him and the blockers that he's going against. Um, and you know, he's got a great demeanor, too. This is an unselfish player, right? And when you talk about unselfish players that are willing to do what they need to do for the team, I think that leads to success. I'm glad you brought that up because when he met with the media, seems like a very humble individual, quiet, not very talkative. He talked about the fact that he has a daughter, which I think speaks volumes, coach, of his maturity. Can you give us some insight in terms of who he is off the football field and what he brought to your team? Well, he's a quiet giant. He's not going to say a lot. And uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to get a lot of stories out of him, but he's going to come to work every single day. Um, he's going to be, he, he was always available. I think that's one of the biggest traits in football is are you available, right? And what Jordan was consistently for us was always available. He worked extremely hard uh, out there on the field. And then as a person, you know, it's, you just got to peel back the layers. It's going to take some time because he's not going to let you in on uh, who he is a lot, but you'll see the smile on his face. He's a guy that enjoys the work and I think you'll have a lot of success. And it's important, to your point, to have that mindset, especially when you're a seventh-round pick. Nothing's guaranteed. He's going to have to work his way up the depth chart. And that brings me to how you utilized him, because not only did he play 331 snaps on defense, he got 70 on special teams. How did you use him on special teams, and how engaged was he within that facet of your team? 
Yeah, he, he's a big athlete now. So, you know, he helped us on our punt team. He was also able to be available on some other, other teams for us. But, uh, again, it just goes back to that size, creates problems for the other team. And you got to go around that guy to be able to get to a point where you can make a block. Um, he's definitely athletic enough that he can be uh, involved in some, you know, backline KOR stuff, um, could help on a field goal unit. There's just a lot of things that I think that he can be an impact player on. Um, and, and he got some of that, obviously, here with us at Oregon. I believe you ran a 4-2-5 defensive system. Clearly, he was one of your interior defensive linemen. As far as coaches fit on the NFL level, is he a nose tackle in your mind? Is he more of a different position? Where do you see maybe his ideal fit at the next level? Yeah, um, you know, specifically for us, you know, he was able to do it all. He could play three. He could play the nose. He could play a zero, um, you know, two eyes. So, you know, we play multiple fronts here. So certainly we were a lot of four down, but. We do three down as well. So I think he has the ability to work anywhere from a five to a four eye all the way down the line of scrimmage based on what you need and what you have outside of him. We were just talking about the stats are not necessarily flashy. I think the one thing about the NFL level is when you're an interior defensive lineman and you're known for stopping the run, the way that you can perhaps separate yourself from the rest of the pack is maybe to show the ability to prove to the coaching staff you belong on the field on passing downs, and maybe you can contribute in terms of the pass rush. Where do you see his ceiling, his level of contribution in terms of getting after the quarterback, if any? I don't know if we've seen it yet. You know, I, I think that's those all come with opportunities, and um, certainly I think Jordan will get some of those opportunities there with the Giants, and um, we'll see what he does with them. But he's only going to get better as a player. He's, you know, he's looking, he's a learner. He wants to be out there. He wants to train. He wants to get better. and He doesn't mind the work. So I think that those opportunities may come and you, you might be surprised with the results. Well, speaking of opportunity, I think it's interesting because you can argue, Coach, you and your staff tapped into maybe something with Jordan that perhaps the previous stops have not been able to do. And part of that was he didn't get a lot of playing time. He was obviously at the community college level. When you look back, what clicked this year? He did start 13 games, and he played a lot more on defense, more so than any of his previous stints. Well, ultimately, when you have transition, I think you have an opportunity to reinvent yourself. And when Jordan got here, he was the best version of himself. One, we knew how to coach him with Coach Tuviotti having some familiarity with him before. Um, but two, I think he came here as a guy that wanted to attack some of his weaknesses and make him strengths, and he did a good job of that. So I think he'll do the same thing, you know, moving into the league, is saying, okay, what can I get better at? Where can I improve? Um and again, there's the things you can't coach and Jordan has those. So as he continues to get better as a player, you know, I think that you'll, you'll be really surprised uh, with the results. We're talking with Oregon head coach, Dan Lanning, one of the Giants' seventh round picks, Jordan Riley, as he makes the transition from college to the pros. And speaking of transition coach, maybe a broader question for you. Clearly the transfer portal is having such a great influence on the college landscape. And you've been very aggressive in terms of remodeling your team as you took over. And Jordan's been with a variety of different collegiate programs throughout his career. How much do you think that better prepares a player, even though you've got to learn new schemes, but what life in the NFL is all about and how you have to consistently adapt to new schemes and new teammates on the fly, perhaps? Well, competition breeds excellence, right? And the fact that you want to bring in great players that can compete with each other, whether it be through the portal or through development, through your own program, I think you're going to get the best version of people when they have to compete against somebody else to earn their time. And uh, Jordan certainly had to do that this past year for us. Jordan Riley, interestingly, is not the only connection you have to the Giants roster. So I want to branch out here because before you came to Oregon, for our audience to understand, you were at Georgia and the Giants are showcasing a lot of former Bulldogs, specifically Azizo Jalari, who when you brought him to Georgia, he was coming off the torn ACL. He had redshirt freshman year initially, then all of a sudden really branched out. When you go back and look at his development, what impressed you the most, Coach, about his ability to put an injury behind him and all of a sudden make the most of his opportunity as the years went by at Georgia? Well, you know, Aziz is another one of those guys that doesn't say a lot, but his play does. And uh, super consistent, one of my favorite players that I've ever coached. Um, just has a great approach about things. Very humble, but also very hungry. Um, and I think that, you know, he, he capitalized on learning and leaning into some of his strengths that he has as a player from a pass rush standpoint. I know he had some production there and has had some great production for the Giants. I think he'll continue to do that because he's able to say, I want to master something rather than becoming a jack of all trades, kind of becoming the master of one. And there's a couple moves, but I think he's really solidified and, and uh, you know, helped himself in his career 
because he's been able to focus on the things he's good at. How much do you think the fact that the Giants wound up getting him in the second round, and to most you can argue maybe he dropped, which turned out to be a great steal, but the fact that he has still something to prove at this level because maybe he didn't meet the notoriety of what came with the ability to perform at Georgia, and that didn't necessarily translate automatically to where he was drafted. Yeah, I think he's going to continue to grow and become, you know, become a great player. I, I think in that league, as we all know, you got to come and work every single day, and it's highly competitive, and it's a, t- it's a tough game. Uh, you got to be able to uh, be healthy week in and week out, too. And I know that's one thing for Aziz is just making sure that he can be out there on the field. But I know that if there's anybody that's working at it, it's him. And he has the hunger to be great, and there's no doubt in my mind he can be a great player for the Giants. And you were also there when Andrew Thomas was on the offensive line, who obviously has made the transition to the Giants. What was it like watching those battles between Ojolari and Andrew Thomas, which we're now seeing on a daily basis at practice? Well, iron sharpens iron, right? And uh, you know Andrew's a, you know an extremely intelligent player, but extremely athletic too, obviously for the offensive line position. So having some of those battles in practice were fun to watch when you knew both those guys were going to be playing in the league uh, at some point. And now it's even more fun knowing that they're at the same location. Coach, before I let you go, it's amazing. Your map of the NFC East has all connections to where you were either at Georgia or Oregon. Jordan Riley, we're talking about the two players on the Giants. Don't get me started about all the Eagles players that came from your former program. You seem to have maybe a rooting interest now in the NFC East here. I'm going to be watching it close whenever I can. I'm certainly going to tune in. It's fun having a lot of guys that you coach living out their dream and playing at the next level. Just to bring this conversation full circle, Coach, we talked about Jordan Riley and maybe still scratching the surface. Where do you see contribution-wise in terms of what he could do perhaps as a rookie, given the fact that there's a lot of guys ahead of him on the depth chart? And what would be your best advice as he looks to at least carve out some type of a role within the organization? You know, I don't know enough about the roster there uh, currently for you guys, but I'll just say this, just work, Jordan. And uh, he's not afraid of hard work. Uh, I think the, the rest will take care of itself. We will leave it at that. He is Coach Dan Lanning, the head man of the Oregon Ducks. Coach, greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and best of luck navigating this offseason. You bet. Thank you, Lance. Have a good one. We're wrapping up our journey through the 2023 draft class. Today we're focusing on the team's second seventh-round pick, 254th overall, Houston safety, Gavarius Owens. And we're now joined by the assistant head coach, defensive coordinator of the Cougars, who was with Owens for all four of his seasons in Houston, none other than Doug Bell. Coach, greatly appreciate the time. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? It's going well, man. Just, you know, summer grind, recruiting, all the things opposite of the NFL that we're trying to get down here. So it's going well. Uh, Wrapping up some official visits and, you know, some OTA stuff with our players. Very nice. Well, as you can attest to, the football cycle and calendar never slows down as we're gearing up on the NFL side for training camp. Very excited to get your insight on what Javarius Owens will provide for the Giants. So let's go back to... 2018, he plays one season in Northern Oklahoma A&M College, Juco All-American. Then he comes to Houston in 2019. What were your first impressions of Owens, and how much have you seen him grow and develop as a player over the last four years? Yeah, you know, really proud of – we call him G, or everybody calls him G.O. And so uh, really proud of him. Uh, Went and recruited him in in Oklahoma City as he was finishing up at NEO. uh, Had a lot of position versatility. You know, at that, that point in time was one of the most attractive things for us. He played corner. He played safety. He was a he was a, a returner at that point. Um, and, you know, just just a lot of a lot of uh, potential that was untapped. And, you know, really to see his growth, his maturity, you know, a lot of things that we talk about with him, you know, had nothing to do with football. Just as, you know, a person, you know, grew into from, you know, a junior college All-American to playing multiple positions to finally settling in safety. Uh, to becoming a graduate and a, and a team captain here for us and all conference players. So just really proud, proud of his development off of the field. Um, and obviously on the field, I think the sky's the limit. He's a good player who has a lot of versatility, uh, who I think could provide a lot, um, you know, as far as base downs and third downs, of, as, as far as playing safety. But I think uh, one of his biggest values immediately should be on special teams with speed and with length and the ability to make some plays in the open field and being physical. Well, speaking of special teams, let's go there. 361 career snaps within that facet of the game, and that clearly jumps off the page. What made him so effective? Because, Coach, it wasn't just the fact that you played him 
within the different teams on special teams, but he had two blocks of punts. He made a lot of splash plays and seemed to make the most of his opportunities. Yeah, you know, he was a situational player, you know, for us special teams-wise because we asked a lot of him on defense, you know, early on. But I think he had a knack for blocking kicks, uh, so we started adding him into into the punt block circuits, and we kind of saw it in, in some of the group work uh, and added him into some of those things. And then as far as uh, in 2021, his role really increased um, on the coverage, unit, in, in coverage units in particular uh, kickoff. We had had a couple kickoffs uh, return against us. I remember like yesterday against South Florida. Um, and from that point on, we added, added G to the kickoff team and we played Temple the next week and he ran down and made two or three plays. And so we kept him, you know, on those two units in particular, and he did a really good job. So, um, you know, all DBs for us have to be on two special teams. And, you know, once he, his role kind of grew as far as the special teams player, I think he took a lot of pride in it and was able to help the team and make some plays on those things. So I think um, that transition for him in the NFL should be, um, something that he should be able to do. And I think, obviously, Coach McGay being being an awesome special teams coordinator um, as well, I think he could probably maximize him in a lot of different ways. And I think he has enough enough length and physicality uh, to play on all four. And I think that's something that I think that he, he should be able to do effectively immediately. Well, I'm glad you brought up the transition aspect because when you're a seventh-round pick, clearly you can't assume you're going to get many opportunities on defense right away. So the best way to clearly make an impact as a rookie is on special teams. How much the fact that he's had that mindset during his tenure in Houston and the fact that it seems most players who contribute on special teams, coach, and I'm curious your perspective, there has to be the desire. One thing to give them the opportunity, but they really have to love it and want to show up consistently game in and game out. Yeah, I think it's it's about will and it's about mindset. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, obviously the skill set to be successful doing that. Um, but you have to be selfless because a lot of times you may be on a punt return unit where you're holding up or you're going to try to block a kick or create an opportunity for a returner. Uh, and I think it tells a lot about, you know, a guy and how he approaches special teams and being a team player. And I think that's one thing that G displayed here is that he was willing to do whatever it took for us to have an opportunity to win. And I think uh, his role on special teams obviously was is something um, that was very important, especially here being a starter the whole time that he was here, but still being able to maximize his role consistently week in and week out on special teams um, and take pride in those things. And, you know, it helps, um, especially when you're on these return units and, and some of the block units when you have, you know, his time here, we had a couple of really good returners and Marcus Jones and Tank Dale um, to really, you know, every time that, that we went out there, we felt like we had an opportunity to score. Um, and he was, you know, one of the ring leaders in, in rallying the troops. And uh, let's either go block it or let's, let's go score. Uh, so that's something that I think, you know, it tells a lot about a person, especially a good player that's willing to do that. You brought up the name Thomas McGay. He clearly Giants fans are very familiar with him, given the fact that he's been the long established special teams coordinator. And for our viewers to understand, his son Trent is a tight end on the Houston roster. So a two part, Question for you, Coach. Number one, how much over the years have you been able to foster a relationship with Thomas McGahee, given the fact that his son is on the roster? And how much do you think his familiarity with Owens going back to his son's connections to Houston will help him, to your point, maximize his talents within that facet of the team? Yeah, I missed I missed the last part of your last question, but I think I got the end of it. And, uh, you know, I've got I've grown somewhat of a relationship with Coach McGahee. Um, been really good to me. Um, I'm very gracious when he's here. Awesome, awesome person and even better coach. Uh, you know, one, his son's on our team. So we've been able to see him around and he's been in pro days. And then I think that the last part of that is he's an alum, alum you know. So sure. um, and so all those different facets that go together. But, you know, I think for him, you know, he's been a long time NFL coach. You know, he knows talent as well as anybody, in my opinion. So uh, whether it's Javarius Owens or it's, other guys on the roster, I think he's going to find a way to maximize their skill sets and um, put the best product out there for the New York Giants week in and week out as far as personnel goes. And then, um, you know, as far as who he is as a person, I think people naturally kind of gravitate to him. And I think that's obviously it's tough to sustain multiple head coaches and, um, and you know, multiple shifts in personnel. Um, and it tells you a lot about who he is to be able to do that. So uh, hopefully, you know, Jeek is a, 
large opportunity to contribute for you guys. And I think with his leadership and his coaching, it'll it'll help him maximize his skill set. We're talking with Houston assistant head coach, defensive coordinator Doug Belk here on the Giants Huddle podcast about Giants seventh round pick Javarius Owens. You brought up the characteristics and the traits of his skill set as a player, and I want to transition there. He assumed the free safety role. I think if you look at him on film, coach, high motor is something that comes to mind. I mean, you see him hustle sideline to sideline. Why is it that that motor made him such an effective, specifically free safety within your defensive scheme? Yeah, I think, you know, we we ask him to do a bunch of different things, and I think as you transition into the next level, uh, the ability to play man-to-man, the ability to make plays in space, whether that's plays on the ball or tackling in space, um, as well as being able to play the deep part of the field, whether it's a half safety and cover two or any type of single high coverage where he's in the middle of the field and playing in the in the post. Um, he's kind of made plays in each one of those situations. And early in his career, he played corner and nickel, and then he kind of settled into more of a um, primary primary safety for us. Um, and outside of just the ability to, to play different roles, I think his ability to learn and communicate um, is was really the difference in um, his development for us. Um, you know, being able to get us in the right checks, being able to communicate effectively and and uh, being able to take the meeting room and practice clips and, and, and turn those into production on Saturdays for us was something that I think he did very well. So versatility in playing along with the ability to learn. Uh, and be effective communicator is, are probably some of the attributes that you know I'm looking forward to see translate for him moving forward. You referenced his experience as corner. Oh, sorry, thought I lost you there for a second. You referenced his experience as corner, and I want to bring that into the equation because on the next level, do you see him as somebody that could play in the slot? and assume a cornerback role on the NFL level, or is his fit, you think, more ideal as a free or a strong safety on the next level? Yeah, I think I think his uh, his fit is probably better suited at um, at safety. He could play free safety. He could play strong safety. He could play in the box. He could play on the perimeter. I think in, in situational roles, he can slot cover and do some things uh, if needed. Um, but I think, you know, he his uh, development of him physically led us to really – you know, him playing more safety uh, than corner wasn't really about his ability to cover or it was kind of what we needed more from him. And then he got bigger, got stronger, kind of grew into his body. Uh, and it led us to, to you know, primarily putting him in safety. But I think he, he does a lot of things well. Um, but, you know, I think he's kind of settled into that safety role. And I think that's where he's best suited moving forward. What impressed you the most, though, about his ability to assume the safety position? Because it seemed as if he contributed within all layers of your defense. You see him make tackles up near the line of scrimmage, out in open space, covered deep. He made some opportunistic plays. So what do you think may be the most valuable aspect that he brought to your defense that he can now bring to the NFL level? Well, I think I think the biggest combination of that is is not one particular thing. And I think every coach... Um, especially, um, you know, with the the rosters, you know, in the NFL being smaller um, and you have brilliant coaches and you have elite quarterbacks and elite receivers and guys who can do more can contribute to the team more. And I think that uh, I don't know if it's one thing from a skill set perspective, but I know from a coaching perspective, it's always much easier um, when you don't have to substitute personnel to get in a certain look or or get in a certain game plan. Um, versus an, an opponent. So I think he will bring some uh, versatility for the coaching staff as far as being able to play close to the line of scrimmage as well as pre, uh, provide some value in a deep part of the field. Um, and I think that ultimately that's what you want as you draft somebody in the NFL is that you can maximize whatever skill set that they could do. And a lot of it is about learning. And I think his ability to learn and process and, and continue to uh, – you know, evolve as a player is something that is going to help him more than his physical attributes. You referenced earlier the volume of games he appeared in and his starts, 46 games, 42 starts, only missed one game, if I'm accurate, due to a concussion. Durability, as you know, Coach, I mean, that may be the most important facet for a player because you want to make sure that they're available on the field. 
Why was he so effective in being a reliable option week in and week out over the course of four years at Houston? Yeah, I mean, he's played a lot of football. Um, you know, he, he was an immediate contributor for us. And like I said, he grew in so many different ways, um, matured a lot as a man. Uh, but I think ultimately uh, he's an ultimate competitor. You know, he loves football. And that's a trait that is often overlooked as you evaluate, um, you know, college prospects, as, 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 especially as they go. Um, into the National Football League is the the will to compete. Um, as we talked about, what what would make a good special team player, the will to win. Um, he's played in a lot of games and been a part of us winning a lot of those games. And then ultimately, um, you know, he's a very talented young man. So I think uh, the durability piece is, you know, he started every game that he was available. Um, you know, whether it was an ankle or concussion or or lingering health deals, but. You know, to be able to appear in that many games, um, I think is really just based off of, you know, I think our strength coach, Daryl Bauer, does an awesome job with with our guys and our training staff. But, you know, he's a workout warrior. He loves to compete. He loves to train. Um, and you saw him in the OTAs and the summer conditioning. He was always in the front, right, in conditioning. He was always competing to be the strongest guy in the weight room on the team. So those value, those core values kind of carry over and they translate to being a good player. And you can't always, you know, equate that to good health. Um, but a lot of times good fortune in, in that arena has to do with the way you train, the way you prepare. And then when you are in those critical moments that you trust the training, that you trust your coaches uh, and that, you, that you're a good teammate, no matter what the circumstances are. Um, and then the investment, you know, in all the, all the other facets of the game, as far as studying the game, being a football nerd and, you know, getting in the film room and, and studying you know, all those nuances of the game is something that he really grew uh, to learn and to love and, you know, transitioning from junior college uh, into University of Houston. And, you know, he was a four-year college guy at K-State prior to going to NEO. Um, so, you know, he had, a, he had a solid foundation already, and we just tried to put him in positions to continue to maximize his skill set and teach him why it was important to do certain things and, and you know, add more detail into his game and how he prepared and add that would do it with the uh, work ethic that he displayed and, and what made him very attractive to me and our staff uh, and to continue to build on those things. Well, and speaking of that, it seems as if he also made himself very attractive coach to his teammates because you talked about he was a team captain in 2022 this past season, but says a lot about a player when he's voted into that position by his teammates as opposed to a coach assigning him that label. And as you mentioned, he's going to be a 24-year-old rookie in the NFL, so I'm sure that speaks volumes of his maturity. But how did he get his teammates to buy into him, both on and off the field? And what does that say about him as a player? You know, I think part of it was his constant growth. Um, you know, we had a, a veteran DB group that he was a part of. Those guys had a very close bond. Um, a lot of those guys have gone on to play in the NFL as well. And some of those guys left after the 21 season. And he was a part of um, everything that we built from day one of, of us transitioning to University of Houston. Um, but ultimately, I think that it's his work ethic and his approach. I wouldn't say he's the, the most vocal guy in the room, but he's very likable. Um, he's always locked in in the meeting rooms and his work ethic on the field and, and all the things that you know, that you don't see on a day-to-day -day basis, strength and conditioning, um, extra meeting time, always in the building, um, being a football junkie. Um, and kind of, I think those things kind of rub off on, on on your teammates. And I think that, you know, when you have a, a player vote and you vote captain, um, I think the greatest respect that you can have at any level in a team sport is the respect of your peers. And he was able to, you know, garner that respect from the way that he worked. And I think his work ethic is what made him um, really, really regain that respect from his teammates. And, and I think he put together a great body of work over the first couple of years that he was here and continue and continue, continuing to grow, uh, continuing to learn. Um, and, and, and I tell our guys all the time, you have to be a great servant before you could be a leader. And I think he was that before he was voted a team captain. And you really saw, you know, him become more vocal and him become, um, you know, kind of in the front of the group a lot more as a senior than he was before. Um, but I think it was just a combination of his body work over his first couple of years here that he gained the respect of his team makes immediately and it just continued to grow.
which I think bodes very well to him now transitioning to the Giants and sealing out his new teammates. And related to that, before I let you go, I want to turn to your resume because you have several other connections, if I did my homework correctly, to the Giants roster because you were at Alabama for three seasons as a grad assistant under Nick Saban. And I'm sure you crossed paths with Ashawn Robinson, who the Giants just signed this offseason, J.C. Ossenauer, an offensive lineman. Just curious what you may remember from crossing paths with those two guys, and specifically a guy like Ashawn Robinson, who the Giants are hoping is going to shore up their run defense this season because of his pure size. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't there with, with the offensive lineman, but I was there with with Ashawn, and he was a uh, um, man amongst boys at, at that time. Um, and he's he's gone on to have a great career. Um, you know, I think he's, you know, uh, a versatile player as well. But, you know, he he does a lot of things well. He's a great dude. Um, you know, I haven't seen him in a while, but I've kept kept up with his career uh, and been able to see him grow. Um, but he could be a dominant force. And I think that he's probably motivated, new situation, um, great coaching staff with the head coach there and, you know, you know, I was also on staff with, with Coach Tierney there as well. Uh, we spent a year together. So uh, between head coach, Coach Tierney, and, you know, Coach McGay, a lot of relationships there. Um, and, I, and, I, and I hope that, you know, they win them all. So It's a small world, as you it just is. mentioned, in the NFL. Just as a, a quick follow-up, I believe, did you cross paths with Brian Dable at Alabama, or did he come in, I think, after you left? He came after I left. Okay. He came Just wanted to make sure. So, yeah, I didn't. I did not cross paths with him. You know, um, I had already gone up, gone on to be um, to another another job there, at West Virginia, at that point. But um, he's all he's been a highly regarded somebody. I have a ton of respect for his journey from the Patriots to you know bouncing back to college to what he was able to do with Buffalo Bills, and obviously, um, great offensive mind in in New York. And the change there was pretty immediately, and it speaks a lot of volumes about him and. I know he's a great person and an even better coach to people, um, you know, hold in high regard as well as me, too. Just goes to show you, even if you don't work physically with the individual, you still hear war stories and shared experiences around the coach. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of mutual, you know, relationships. Yeah. Uh, and it tells you a lot about, you know, people when you hear people that you trust and respect and that you work with, that work with those people. Um, you, we don't know each other, but it feels like, like I know him, you know, just – through all the mutual connections. Absolutely. Well, he is Doug Belk, the assistant head coach, defensive coordinator for the Houston Cougars. He was with Javarius Owens, Giants seventh round pick for all four years as he now makes the transition to the Giants. Coach, can't thank you enough. Really appreciate the time and the insight. Best of luck the rest of the offseason as well as the upcoming campaign. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is the latest edition of the Giants Huddle podcast, which you can catch on Giants.com, the mobile app, and your favorite podcast platforms. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.